This Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I'm gonna ask you to join with me, our elders, and our pastors here at Times Square Church for three days I think of prayer and fasting, I think are gonna be very important. We're gonna join even with our Bible school in conjunction at the very same time with Summit International School of the Bible and Dr. Teresa Conlon, the student body and the staff each morning this week at 6 a.m. At 6 a.m., we will be live right here from Times Square, New York City. And each morning we'll be praying from 6 to 6.30 live. And then we're gonna ask you after that from 6.30 to 7 to join with your connect group, with friends, even with your family, um, and pray till 7 a.m. for the next three days coming up. We will open up with a brief word. We're gonna begin to have a song of worship with our worship team, and then we're gonna pray together. I I want you to be preparing as we ask God on Tuesday for our country. We're gonna believe as we're going in with our new president and going into this new season that God would help him to lead righteously and wisely. The Bible is very clear that righteousness exalts a nation and that we're going to believe that God is going to put around President Biden, Kamala Harris, Daniels and Josephs and Esthers. We're also going to believe on Wednesday for our churches that God is going to send revival to his churches and the pulpits are going to be unashamed and God is going to give a strong voice and unbending knees. And then on Thursday, we're going to pray for our homes, your home. We're going to believe God for for healing and, and, and strengthening marriages for our children, that God would make them strong on their campuses. And then on Thursday, we're going to pray for prodigals to come home. That really, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're going to pray for the White House. We're going to pray for God's house, and we're going to pray for your house. That's this Tuesday and Wednesday. And if you can fast all day, all three days, one day, maybe a portion of the day, I want you to join us each morning. We're live right now here in Times Square, New York City. I believe with the inauguration of our new administration with President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, I sensed it to be very important to speak to God's people around New York City, around the country, and around the world. God has put something upon my heart. Eight-time All-Star who has played in five World Series, New York Yankees second baseman Bobby Richardson is an outspoken and a strong born-again Christian. He taught me a prayer that I want to teach you today. Here is what he said. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Let's pray. Father, that's what we want. We want this for our lives. We want this for your church. We want this for our country. We want this for people that are listening right now. Your will. We want your will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else, Lord God. And I'm asking you in these next few moments, Would you show us, Lord God, how many enemies try to come against your will? And Father, from personally to nationally, and God, I thank you that your will always wins. And so God, today in these next few moments, let the will of God be achieved because your will is that all men might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So God, do a work today in your people, in your church, around the city, around the country and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Think of that again. Your will, God. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. I want to ask you a question. What happens when what I want and what God wants collides? What happens when my will and God's will even seem to contradict? The quick answer is God always wins, but life is better when we cooperate with them. I want you to buckle up today as 
that, that I believe this word has so much to do with what we are facing for some of you personally and even what we're facing nationally. This deals with everything from unanswered prayer all the way to maybe the candidate that you voted for not winning the election. I want to be real clear today. There's been prayer, public pronouncements, and even prophecy that has come from the church about this election, and it didn't happen. They were wrong, and I'm not sure anyone admitted that there was a collision between their will and God's will. And I want you to see today how important this story is to us in Paul's final journey. The three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul were the product of Jesus' last challenge to his disciples in Acts 1.8. Remember this? That he's wanting them to bring the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And a good portion of the book of Acts really is the Apostle Paul um, and it, it really on these journeys. Paul faced much suffering on these journeys. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked, lied about. He was, he was maligned. It, just, just to name a few things, imprisoned, put in chains. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. As I was reading the book of Acts, I thought that after 7,938 accumulated miles in 10 years of traveling on these journeys, the most horrible thing could have happened or happened that could have ended Paul's journey in a shipwreck. The apostle was, was really facing, stay with me now, friendly fire. Because Paul's last battle may have been his hardest. It didn't come from Christ haters, but it actually came from the church in Acts chapter 21. It came from really the charismatic, the spirit-filled side believers who believe in the gifts of the spirit and especially that believe in prophecy. What happened at the end of Paul's third missionary journey was a collision with a prophecy that had the potential to stop Paul from getting to the finish line of his ministry and saying those oft-quoted words, I finished the race. It was going to literally end by a prophetic word by telling the Apostle Paul not to go any further. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Paul was being stopped from being moved forward by the church, by church people, because their will and God's will seemed to be colliding. See, what Paul faced may be similar and as significant as when Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. See, Jesus said to Peter, when Jesus started to speak about the cross, and, and when Peter said, you're not going to go to the cross, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because Peter interpreted that the cross was not really even the will of God. Let, let me just pause for a moment here, because many of you are joining with us on what we're calling here at Times Square Church, the 260 journey. In fact, I want to join, want you to join with us, and, and you can even start now as we're going through the 260 chapters this year of the New Testament. This, the, the book that we're taking through just, just has been released and is now being restocked on Amazon. It's going through its third printing. It's a, it's a, a journey through all 260 chapters of the New Testament that I began just to detail and write that it's just a chapter a day. 
um, that you're reading on the New Testament. And then on, on Saturdays, you can catch up. And on Sundays, you can hear the preaching of the word, but we're going through it. But what's amazing is, is how God begins to coordinate all these chapters. Tomorrow is Matthew 16, when Peter tells Jesus not to go to the cross. In fact, it's called, uh, Simon is, it's having, it's Simon days and Satan days. On the same day, Simon was called Peter the rock. And on the same day, Simon is called Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And this was the incident. His will and God's will were in collision. Acts 21 is when the church people and prophets bring confusion to the will of God and the plan of God, and it was a collision. I want to read this to you. There, the Apostle Paul has just landed in Tyre. He has made a 400-mile ship uh, 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 voyage from Ephesus, just leaving on the beach the, Ephes- the Ephesian elders 400 miles later, he's in Tyre, in Syria, and Paul, we begin to read these words. When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. We came, and then it says this in verse 4. It says, for the ship, after looking up at the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. This is the first moment that happens. Now, let me continue on. So they're saying, don't go to Jerusalem. These church people were saying, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and came and coming to us, he took Paul's belt bound his feet and his hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jew at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When he heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Think of these words in those two passages. They kept telling Paul not to set foot in Jerusalem and begging him not to go to Jerusalem. This is the ending of his battle. See, there is a relentlessness and an intensity in these words, kept telling and begging. This wasn't just an opinion. This was almost like a verbal assault on the Apostle Paul that was coming in harder than the stones that were thrown at him or the, or the, or the whippings that he even faced. Here is Paul's response And Paul's next step. You ready for this? Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Really, Paul believed Bobby Richardson's prayer. Dear God, your will, nothing more nothing less and nothing else. And Paul faced the challenge from the church. He has a prophecy and a well-meaning church people telling him not to go to Jerusalem. In fact, when I was reading this, do you know what the biggest little word of these verses is? It's we. It's the word we. We were begging him. Do you know who the we is in that verse? You ready for this? We is Luke. He's the writer of Acts and Paul's traveling companion. He is joining the chorus and telling the Apostle Paul, don't go. Luke is begging Paul, don't go. 
What's amazing is this. Let me say this to you. The closest people to you have the most influence on you, which means that the man whose voice had the most weight in the room, Luke, is now using it to dissuade the Apostle Paul from going to Jerusalem. I, I, this is such an important thing that we begin to discuss. It, think about this. As a side note, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David is coming to the close of his life. And do you know one of the, one of the two, last two stories he tells is he tells of a story of similar importance to Acts 21. In fact, David's will and God's will collides. And he's telling, if you read 1 Chronicles 28, the first couple of verses, he says he called together the commanders, the leaders, the mighty men. And he said, listen to me close. He said, I wanted to build the temple. A prophet came to Nathan and said, go build it. And then God spoke to that prophet and said, you told him the wrong thing. And David's, and God said to Nathan, it's not David that's supposed to build it. It's Solomon. And you prophesied and you weren't supposed to say that. And God blessed Nathan that they had the wherewithal to go back and say, I miss God. I shouldn't have said those very things. And David saw fit to tell the story of a collision between his will and God's will. Now, just think about this. Back to Paul and Agabus. I love what comes next after Paul hears the begging and the pleading, even of his own friend Luke, begging and pleading with him. You ready for this? After all the begging and the pleading, here's what happens. After these days, we got ready and started up to Jerusalem, and we arrived in Jerusalem. (laughs) This is incredible. I love it. In fact, I love verse 14, when the people said, since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent. The Lord's will be done. You know what they were saying? It seemed like they were coming to the point of realizing their will and God's will were in collision and colliding. The message takes that same verse and it says this in Acts 21, 14. We saw that we weren't even making a dent in Paul's resolve. Something was deep in that man's heart. Stay with me now. It was God's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem. Why? You know why? So Paul could go to Rome and stand before Festus and stand before Agrippa and appeal to Caesar. It was God's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem. Why? So Paul could go to Rome. Why? So Paul would be able to write and complete his part of the New Testament. Why? So you would be able to say such things in your difficult times that you're going through. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So you can say in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Why did Paul have to get there to Rome? Second, Second Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Listen, my friends, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, First and Second Timothy, and Titus would never have been written if the will of man was accomplished and if Paul had stayed with the people right there in Caesarea. 
This is, God was saying, I need these books. Think of the books of the Bible that would not have been written, quoted, and promises that never would have been stood upon if Paul doesn't go to Jerusalem and then go to Rome. See, when we impose our will into God's will, we miss God's blessing that comes from God's will. The, I, I want to give you, which I think is th- very important, three thoughts to keep in mind when you're finding your will and God's will colliding like Acts 21, like 1 Chronicles chapter 28, that will begin to help us in that collision. When you want what you want, disagrees with what God wants. Okay, stay with me now. Here we go. Number one, don't assume if there is suffering that it's not God's will. See, in Christ as a Christian, pain always has a purpose. It's never arbitrary. Suffering and difficulty for Christian always has meaning. You may ask, Pastor Tim, what's the purpose of pain then and suffering in the Christian's life? See, get this. I believe suffering equips you to minister to others. That's not me. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Listen to what how, how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 1, All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. Here it comes. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. See, when the Acts 21 people heard, I believe was right, and it was from the Lord. I don't disagree with Agabus's words that the man who was wearing that belt was going to go through suffering in the hands of the Jews. I don't, I don't disagree that there was going to be suffering in Jerusalem. I think the word was right. Both those Acts 21 church people and the prophet, though, decided to take it one step further and then interpret what it means, and there's where the collision comes. The collision comes when all of a sudden you begin to take that word and interpret it yourself, and all of a sudden you're holding Paul back from going to Jerusalem. In fact, Acts 21 says they begged Paul through the Spirit, but you can't miss Acts 20. What comes prior, this is what it says about Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He knew he was supposed to go there. Listen to verse 22. And now, this is Paul speaking, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, the chapter before, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me. Paul already knew it. It was resolved in his heart. But see, in essence, the church people were saying, if they're suffering, then it cannot be God's will for you, Paul. That was their interpretation. See, this, we have to be careful, is American theology today. It involves and says that if they're suffering, then it cannot be God. They've misdefined their will for God's will, and then we built a theology on it, and nothing could be further from the truth. Listen, suffering is not seen as meaningful, but as an interruption to life. Elizabeth Elliot, who knew pain, when her own husband, Jim Elliot, was murdered by the Aka Indians as one of the one of the modern day uh, martyrs, and Elizabeth Elliot wrote these powerful words. A woman that has known pain and walked along, alongside people with pain, she says, "I am not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us, even in my own life. I think honestly that I can say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God." and the love of God. Or let me say it to you this way, it's the crushed grapes that yield the wine. That's what God does. 
the person that led the way, way before all these very heroic sex trafficking organizations and no, the noble work that they're doing right now in the, our country and around the world, it all started with the incredible vision and ministry of Amy Carmichael in India, rescuing so many children at the, in, in the 30s and the 40s in, in India. I was reading the story of Amy Carmichael, who started the rescue, the, the safe house, rescuing young girls that would not, that, that so one day they would not know the horrific exploitation of their lives. And she did it at the risk of her own life. But in 1931, listen to this, Amy was badly injured in a fall, which led, which left her bedridden till the time that she died. She couldn't even get out of bed. Amy died in 1951 at the age of 83 when she was injured. Amy broke her leg, twisted her spine, and the injury left her in, in constant pain. You ready for this? For 20 years. That means for two decades, listen, Amy couldn't get out of bed. She didn't have a, she couldn't sleep through the entire night without waking up in pain. And the final two decades, talk about pain and suffering. Talk about people trying to say that can't be God's will. Remember, it's the crushed grapes that yield the wine. However, it didn't stop her from using a gift while bedridden. Amy wrote, listen, 16 books on her back filled with revelation of the amazing grace and mercy of God, all coming from a fall, sleepless nights, and back pains. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A.W. Tozer was spot on when he said, before God can use a man greatly, sometimes he has to first wound him deeply. And Charles Spurgeon even gave to us what this all looks like when he says, a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. But if it goes through the white heat of a furnace, it becomes porcelain. I'm just telling you, I want to be porcelain for God. I want to come out of the struggle with depth and value that was not there before that pain and struggle. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. He was saying, you're misinterpreting that because the next step may have some suffering and pain, you're misinterpreting that this is not the will of God and you're missing something here. And that's why number two, get this, get this, God sees further because God is higher. God sees further than any of us can see because God is higher. See, the closer you are to the situation you're in, the less you see. The closer you are, the less you see. And the less you see, the easier it is to misinterpret the future. Lower people see the immediate, and immediate people misinterpret the future. A friend of mine says it like this, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. But God does. Why? Because God's higher. When you obey God, the other side is blessing. Here's how Isaiah puts it in 55.9. My ways, God speaking, are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I was thinking of this as I was thinking of, of how far God can see. Before there were cell phones that showed you red lines on your phone that there's traffic ahead. I remember growing up and having to listen to the radio. In some cities, like even New York, still has what we would call traffic copters, that they would have to send people up in helicopters to see where the traffic was. But now we don't even need that. All we need to do is look at our phone. But what were they doing? They were trying to say, we needed more than eye level than when you were in the car and in the driver's seat. 
We needed someone hired to see if there was traffic on the George Washington Bridge or going into the Lincoln and the Holland Tunnel. I need someone in my life. You need someone in your life who's really high up there, who can look ahead and see the route that we're going and say, stay away from that section. Stay away from that exit, from that freeway. It'll tie you up. It won't get you to where you're going. We need someone higher than us, and that's God himself. And God saw further for Paul than anybody else can see. Even the church people couldn't see what God saw in that moment. God's will was higher than what a prophet in a church even said. God's will was Jerusalem and Rome, and it even included some suffering. But what would come out of this would change the world and change our lives for centuries later. See, the Apostle Paul would die in AD 67, eight years later than Acts 21, but there was much more to be done than simply staying in Syria for those eight years. God is higher, so God saw further. I'm just telling you, there are come, there does come moments where what we want and what God wants comes to a collision. And God always wins. I just want to cooperate with him. Because he is higher, he sees further. Let me finish with this today. We are ambassadors, not interpreters for God. We're ambassadors. Maybe a better way to say it is this. I have to be an echo and not a voice for God. I preach God's message and not my own. What happened in Acts 21 could be seen as dangerous when church people heard right but added wrong. They added their opinion on what they heard. See, an ambassador is the highest ranking representative to a nation from their own country. And they, ha- they, are, they are speaking what has already been spoken. Let me, let me say this last line. Listen, they are conveying the message, not creating the message. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. You're not creating a message. You're conveying what God is saying. It's his message we're delivering, God's message, if we are ambassadors. We we listen to what God is telling us and say it and do it and, and say exactly what he says. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. We leave the results to him. I was I was thinking about a story that was told to me a few months ago of a young man that is at Summit International School in the ministry that is God is using to make in a tremendous impact. And I asked him, I said, can I tell your story? And he said, absolutely, Pastor Tim. I was preaching in the sanctuary of Times Square Church right before the pandemic and felt prompted by the Holy Spirit that, that, that he spoke to my heart and that somebody, that there were some people there that needed to step out in faith. Maybe you need to hear this today. Needed to step out in faith and go to Summit International School of the ministry and I, and I said these words, I said, you may be there today listening to me and have applied, and this is what I said, to Rutgers, NYU, and even Columbia, and God is saying, summit. What I was basically saying was, you have your will and God's will, and there's a collision. Your will, wh- which one is going to take me, Rutgers, Columbia, or NYU, and maybe God's will was summit in this And there was a young man that was sitting there in that audience that day, and he told me, he said, Pastor Tim... I applied for three schools. I applied to Rutgers, NYU, and Columbia, and you said all three. I simply said what God said, and I let God do the rest. That young man saw there was a collision and chose God. See, more and more, I want you to listen to me, church leaders. I want you to listen to me, pastors. 
more and more as we're going into this new future, we're going to have to say what God says, especially when it comes to the scriptures. Listen, listen carefully. I believe there are two pulpits that are gonna be quickly identified in our country and around the world. There's going to be the irrelevant. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? That will reinterpret the plain scripture that's before us. They will move beyond the role of ambassador and all of a sudden they'll be create a message and take authority that doesn't belong to them. They will say such things as these, these those were moral requirements for back then, but it doesn't apply to us. They're gonna say things like this. That was true back then, but not today. They're gonna say these are different times than the first century. They will make scripture fit their times and forget that truth has no expiration date. And I'm telling you today, if you're in a if you're in a church that is beginning to twist the scripture to say and make it fit these times, you're in a dangerous place and get out of that place. I'm telling you right now. But God is gonna raise up ambassador pulpits, I believe. He's going to raise up ambassador pulpits around this city, around the country, and around the world that will say exactly what God says, regardless of the consequences. There will, be, there will be no playing with the interpretation and the truth of Scripture. I heard one person say it like this. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. Speak the truth even if your voice shakes. Truth sounds like hate to those that hate truth. Here's what I know to be God's will regardless if it collides with my will. Listen to these words. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all then, this is, the, this is the uncompromising word of God. I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. I want you to listen to me closely. I will pray for my president and my vice president. I will pray. We will pray for President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. I will pray for my leaders in Congress because I cannot begin to make, I have to be an ambassador to what the word of God says. I will pray for my mayor and I will pray for my governor because the word of God tells me. And I will preach this word that says he desires all men to be saved. Can I plead with you in closing as an ambassador? I'm not creating a message, I'm just conveying. Here's what it says as we close. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. Do you understand? That's I'm not creating. God is making his appeal through me right now for you. I'm just an ambassador. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's people in Acts 21 begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem when we have to be begging for the will of God today. And it says, verse 21, he made him and knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How do you become reconciled to God? Jesus taught us how to in John chapter three. He said, do you wanna be reconciled to God? In order to be reconciled to God, he says, then you need a relationship with God. And Jesus defined that relationship in the word of God as you must be born again. I can't unsay what Jesus said. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. That becomes irrelevant. 
I'm an ambassador. Jesus said, who cannot lie, who always tells the truth, you must be born again. So if you were to say to me, well, pastor, I had communion. I had my first communion. I was, I was christened or I was raised in a religious family or oh, I'm a good person. Those are good things, but you just created a message. I have to convey a message. You must be born again. That's, that's, that's what ambassadors do. I can't, I have to tell you what he said. What they should have done in Acts 21 is just literally cre- cre- conveyed the message. What Nathan should have done is conveyed the heart of God. I have to tell you what the heart of God is. According to 1 Timothy 2.4, God's heart is he wants all men to be saved. I have to tell you what God's heart is. John chapter 3.3 3 and John 3.5, you must be born again. No man shall enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. I'm just an ambassador. Well, Pastor Tim, what does the Bible say? What does the king say? If you're an ambassador, what does the king say on how you become born again? I wanna simplify it for you and just conveying the message of what the scripture says. I wanna simplify it for you. And it's as simple as ABC. Those three letters literally are gonna convey the heart of God. A is all have sinned. I have to admit that I'm a sinner. That's Romans chapter three. That's what the king says. It's when I get honest with God that every one of us has a condition and it's called sin. And it cannot be fixed by a priest or a pastor. It can't be fixed by a promise, even a program. There's not even a president that could fix this. We need God to fix it. I am broken inside. You are broken inside. The diagnosis is sin. Or as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? The king says that it's the B word, believe. All over the Bible, Romans 10, 9, and 10, Acts chapter 16, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we shall be saved. It's believing that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition and believing that I can't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then God putting his son through the suffering he went through is the ultimate case of child abuse. And our father is not an abuser. If I can get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to come and die on the cross for me. See, Jesus' death was him becoming my sin bearer, him taking the responsibility of my sin. He was basically dying the death that I should have died. He was living the life that I, I should have lived and I couldn't live and gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I don't deserve. And finally, the Bible is clear, just conveying the message as an ambassador, it's confess. Confess Jesus as Lord. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. Jesus didn't die on a cross. Go through 33 years on this planet from the suffering and the pain, the cross, and then the resurrection simply to get us to commit for a couple hours on a Sunday. When Whether it's live or online, God's goal wasn't to, to get a few hours from you on Sunday. God's goal was to get eternity to you and to get you to heaven just to get you to listen to a religious talk online or in person, that's that's religion. Being born again is a relationship because Christianity is not coming to a place, it's coming to a person. That's why even if the doors of the church are not open yet, you could still have a relationship with God. When you confess him as Lord, you're saying you're boss now. You're in charge. That's what Romans 10, 9 and 10 means that God now is in charge and he is asking us today, just as you had a first birth, God is calling for a second birth. 
Our first birth is the day that we're born. We call that our birth date. But according to John chapter 3, Jesus is asking for a second birth date. He's asking for a born again date. And that can happen today. Wherever you're at, if you're listening in a car, you may be listening days later in a gymnasium on a subway. Someone may have sent you the link today. You may be sitting there with your family. And today, you're feeling that I'm just an ambassador telling you what the king said. I can't change what he said. He said that the way a man gets to heaven, the way a woman gets to heaven, the way a student gets to heaven is not by being good. That's, that's a created message. I, I have to convey it. You must be born again. Well, Pastor Tim, what's my next step? I want you to pray a prayer with me right now. I want you to pray a born again prayer. Let it come from the heart. The words are going to begin to put, that we put together, deals with those ABCs, but it's just let it come from the heart. These aren't magic words. These are just words that invite God to take over your life, to change you from the inside out. Come on, wherever you're at, if you're able to, I want you to pray this with me out loud. Come on, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. You have just made the greatest decision of your life to walk in a relationship with God. You decided to be born again. If you made that decision, whether you're watching on a computer or you have a cell phone next to you, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to text exactly what you did. You decided to 88202. We, we want to help you here on a next step. Wherever you're at around the country and around the world, just text decided. We want to begin to help you with next steps on this journey. We're, we not only want to respond um, by way of text, but, but listen, we want to help in all, all, all any way we can. And we have some new things coming down that are going to help you even on this journey. And I do want to remind you, even if you text decide and this, you've been born again now for the last minute and a half, I want you to join us on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Don't say, well, I'm just a new Christian. Talking to Praying is just like talking to your friend. And we're going to talk to God on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Each morning live, right from here at 6 a.m. I want you to join us. We love you, and we will see you Tuesday morning live as we pray together. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.